0: I don't know about you, but I am tired of all this. I am tired of all this. I am tired of tears. I am tired of crying. I am tired of mourning. And I am tired of grieving. I am tired of people dying. I am tired of people losing ones that they love too soon. I am tired of the struggles that I have against temptation and the struggles I have against sin. I am tired of the aches and the pains when I wake up in the morning. I sound like a bowl of Rice Krispies anymore, and I'm tired of it. I am tired of the aches and the pains that my wife feels all day long. I am tired of illnesses. I am tired of sicknesses. I am tired of mental illnesses and bipolar disorder and depression. I am tired of cancer taking people of all ages. I am tired of babies dying before they're born or dying shortly after they're born. I am tired of people having to have surgeries to repair broken bodies. I am tired of sins. Sins like jealousy and pride. I am tired of sins like gossip and I'm tired of sins like greed. I'm tired of sins like lust and lies. I'm tired of divorce and seeing families ripped apart. I am tired of financial struggles and people struggling To make ends meet I am tired of division I am tired of fighting in the church I am tired of people rejecting Jesus I am tired of persecution And beheadings And ISIS I am tired of wars And fighting in our world I am tired of people hating other people And condemning them to hell I am tired of this world And the things that go with it I am ready for something new and something different. I am ready for there to be peace in our world. I am ready for there to be peace in Christ's church. I am ready for there to be an end to temptation and an end to sin. I am ready for there to be no more diseases and no more illnesses. I am ready for there to be no more pain. I am ready for there to be no more pain tears amen i am ready for there to be no more dying and no more death and no more pain i am ready for revelation 21 and that's what we're going to talk about today if you are like me then you are ready to go home and that's what we've been talking about we're going to conclude our brief sermon series today on heaven And we call this sermon series Going Home. Uh, We started it four weeks ago and we started talking a little bit about what heaven is going to be like uh, for four weeks. Uh, We saw four weeks ago that God's preparing a great big house. There's a great big house with many rooms, enough room for all of us. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today in just a little while. We talked a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago about what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back, how there will be audible and visible signs of his return, that when he comes back, every eye will see him, and there will be a a loud commanding shout, there will be the the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, that when Jesus comes back, everyone's going to know it, everyone's going to know that he has returned. Last week we talked about Matthew 25 and the sheep and the goats and how at the judgment Jesus is going to separate people of all nations from the sheep, like a a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And we talked about how uh, the good things that we do, the deeds that we do, are not a result, uh, are not to save us or keep us saved, but they are a result of the fact that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Today we're going to talk about Revelation 21 and we're going to talk about what our home is going to be like what is the home that God is preparing us going to be like we're going to talk about home sweet home today we have a description by the Apostle John who was writing uh, towards the end of the very first century uh, things while he was in prison uh, he was given a revelation he was given a vision about what uh, heaven was going to be like what the end of the world was going to be like Uh, and uh, toward the end of Revelation we read in Revelation 21 what this new city is going to be like that God is preparing. You know, I find that many people are intri- intrigued by the book of Revelation. You know, we, we, we read it, and, and we look at it, and we see the signs and the symbols and things. We're kind of intrigued by it. It's like, wow, I wonder what that means, and I wonder what that means. And, and, and we look for signs in the sky. It's like, ooh, you know, there was an eclipse of the moon, and, and there was a blood moon a couple of weeks ago, and, and and Jesus didn't come back, but uh, it was still a, a blood red moon. And um, but. Well, we see the signs in the sky, we, we read of the signs in Revelation, we're intrigued by it, but we're kind of scared of it too. We're a little scared of Revelation because we don't know what all the symbols mean, and we, and no one really seems to know exactly what's going to happen. And, and we want to know when Jesus is coming back, but the Bible says that no one knows the day or hour. We just We're just kind of dumbfounded by the whole thing. Let me clear it up for you, okay? I'm going to give you the meaning of Revelation in two words. Jesus wins that's it that's what revelation is all about jesus wins be on his side in fact the the other two words i would use to say if i could sum it up in four words it would be jesus wins be faithful that's what it is that's what the whole book is about because the book was not written to 21st century americans looking for the signs of Jesus' return wasn't written for us it was written for first century christians undergoing intense and severe persecution so intense and so severe that they were giving up on their faith they were walking away from their faith because the persecution was so bad I, I, i've told you this before probably it's been a while um but one of the things that one of the emperors i think it was um either nero or i think it was nero but one of the things that nero would do is he would take christians and coat them in tar tie them to poles and set them on fire to light his gardens up at night he would use them as human torches christians okay so when I say that they were undergoing severe persecution, again, it's not like getting, not getting pickles on your hamburger at McDonald's. We are talking severe, life-threatening, painful, torturous persecution. And when you see your brothers and sisters tied up as a human torch, you're thinking, I don't know if this is worth it. And the point of Revelation, John is saying to the Christians of the first century, saying, yes, it is worth it. Hang in there. Stay faithful to Jesus because in the end he wins. And that's what this whole book is all about, is about how Jesus will triumph, Jesus will win. That momentary, temporary pain, momentary, temporary persecution is just that. It's momentary, it is temporary, Jesus wins forever and ever and ever. And all of the evil, and all of the sin, and all of the persecution, and all of the death, and the mourning, and the crying, and the, and the tears, and the pain, is only temporary, folks. It's only temporary. It gets better. I read the end of the book. It gets a lot better. And that's what we're going to talk about today is about how much better this is going to get. And like I said, this was written to a people who were undergoing intense persecution. And um, the point of Revelation is not for us to try and figure out uh, chronological timelines. uh, But it is a very simple message of Jesus wins, so stay faithful. The challenge of Revelation is not to try and figure out the times and the dates of when all this is going to take place. The challenge of Revelation to us is to stay faithful to Jesus no matter what. Because Jesus wins in the end. And yes, the Christian life, Christian faith is totally worth it. And we're going to see that today. So grab your Bible, turn to Revelation 21. Turn to Revelation 21 and then grab your bulletin and turn to page 3 to the handy dandy outline. And we'll fill in some blanks starting right now. The first blank on your outline is everything is new. Excuse me. Everything is new. Let's look at Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people and... Uh, And God himself will be with them and be their God he will wipe away Every tear from their eyes There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away He who was seated on the throne said I am making everything new Then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true He said to me it is done I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost From the spring of the water of life, he who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. John was writing what was being revealed to him by Jesus Christ, that the voice from the throne is the voice of Jesus, and Jesus is seated on heaven's throne as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he tells John what to write. And Jesus says to him, "He is making everything new, everything new." And this is referred to a couple of times in the New Testament in Matthew 19:28. Jesus says, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon His glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10-13, through Peter wrote, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are The Bible says in Matthew 24 that when Christ returns, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. Now, if you remember the story of Noah and the Ark, Noah goes out and builds an ark. Voompa, 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 ding. Any Bill Cosby fans? Maybe not. Okay, so Noah goes out and he builds this ark. He builds a giant boat. Animals two by two into the ark. Okay, you know the story. Uh, the water starts to come. The the, the start to fall. The floods come up. Uh, and um, Uh, The wicked are swept away in judgment, the righteous left behind. And and Jesus says it's going to be like this. Uh, When he returns, it'll be like in the days of Noah, it's going to come suddenly. Life is going to be going on as normal. Uh, It says that in in, uh, Matthew 24, it says that people were marrying and giving in marriage. They were eating, drinking, and being married. It was just normal life, everyday life going on as normal. And then all of a sudden, the raindrops started to fall. When Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be that same way. Life is going to be continuing on as normal. Life is going to be normal, and then all of a sudden, like a thief in the night, when you don't expect it, Jesus is going to come back. Not when you expect it, but when you don't expect it. Kind of like if if somebody breaks into your house, you know, you're not sitting there waiting for them, going, well, I knew you were coming. The, the, The point of being a thief is that people don't know, you know, the people aren't home, or they don't know you're coming, and then they break into your house and take all your stuff, and you know, you're sad. But, um... When Jesus comes back, it'll be like a thief in the night, not expecting it, not ready for it. Um, But one of the things that he says is that the the wicked uh, will be swept away, just like they were swept away in judgment. The righteous will be left behind, just as the righteous were left behind in Matthew 24. And then we're going to rise from the earth. Those left behind will rise from the earth, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll rise from the earth. will meet the Lord in the air. And then in 2 Peter 3, it says the universe will be cleansed with fire. That every uh, taint of sin, every mark of sin, everything that sin has done to wreak havoc and destruction on this universe will be completely washed away, will be completely burned away by fire. And that happens in 2 Peter 3. And then... The new city, the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven. And the the reading that I've done, the scholars that I've read, the commentaries I've read, and and when I read the Bible, that's how I kind of have put things together in my own mind. uh, That's the way I see things. And it may not be the way you see things. You may be thinking, Sean, that doesn't sound like anything like what I believe. And you know what? That's okay. Because that's a matter of opinion. The order of things and how things are going to happen, that's a matter of opinion. We don't have to agree on every matter of opinion. But what we do need to agree on is the essential doctrines of our faith. And one of the essential doctrines of our faith is the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return. The second coming is an essential doctrine of our faith. And we need to agree on that. We may not agree on how it's going to happen. We may not agree on when it's going to happen in this timeline, that timeline, this millennium, that millennium. We may not agree on those things. This tribulation, that tribulation, that's okay. Those are matters of opinion. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus Christ is coming back. We need to be united on that fact that Jesus Christ will return, and, and we do not, when we disagree, if we disagree on matters of opinion, that's okay, we disagree in love, we don't divide Christ's church, uh, based on a, diff, uh, a differing of opinions, okay, does that make sense? We don't want to, we do not want to divide Jesus' church, we are a unified church, and on matters where we don't agree, we're not going to divide the church, we're going to disagree in love, and that's important. But again, when it comes to the essential matters of our faith, we need to be united. And one of those essential matters is the matter of Jesus' return, because that's a a fact. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he does, he is going to undo all of the destruction that sin has caused over the centuries. And if you look at Revelation 21.4, I want to look at that verse real fast. These are the consequences of sin, okay? And this is what he is going to do with, those, with what sin has done to us. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things is the consequences of sin. That's the death. That's the pain. That's the crying. That's the mourning. That's the grieving. All of that will be done away with. The old order of things will be completely done away with and Jesus is going to usher in a new order of things. Jesus is going to make everything new when he comes back. He is going to make everything new when he returns. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. There will be none of that. When he comes away, he is going to do away with sin and he is going to do away with evil once and for all. Once and for all, these things will be done away with. Jesus triumphed over death when he died on the cross for our sins. And when God raised him from the grave on the third day, he triumphed over death. He triumphed over the grave. And now he lives forevermore at the Father's right hand. And he's coming back in power and glory. And every eye will see him. Amen? Amen. Amen. When he returns, he will triumph over evil and the enemy of our souls. In Isaiah chapter 25 verses 6 through 8 It talks about what this is going to be like It says on this mountain The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food For all peoples A banquet of aged wine The best of meals and the finest of wines On this mountain he will destroy The shroud, the death that enfolds all peoples The sheet that covers all nations He will swallow up death forever The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears From all faces He will, will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth the lord has spoken that when god says it he means it and that's what's going to happen he will wipe away all the tears and when you put your faith and trust in jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins your name is written in the lamb's book of life And these promises that are made in Scripture, they are yours and they are mine. These are our promises. Those who are not trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation will receive punishment for their sinfulness. Look at Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now I read that, and I'll be honest, I get a little nervous. I've told a few lies in my life. All liars, second death, right? That ain't good. I've committed to some of these sins. There's been some greedy idolatry in my life, some consumerism, some materialism, and things like that. That's scary. Is is he talking about me? A- am I going to experience the second death? Is he talking about you? Or you? Could, I mean, how many of us can say, Nope, never done any of those things. I'm good. Crying out loud, some of us have done some of these things today. What are we gonna do? Well, here's the thing uh is John saying that we're all doomed? No, we're not all doomed. Those who do not live lives of faithfulness to Jesus will be judged and punished and condemned for their failure to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. The point of this verse is not to scare us, it is not to create doubt in our hearts about our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we accept His offer of salvation by believing in Him, repenting from our sins, confessing our faith and being baptized, we are saved. Those who do not accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, whose lives are characterized by these sins, that their lives are sold out to sin and not sold out to Jesus, many of these uh, sins are, are characterizing people's lives today. Those people will be punished. That is what the second death is referred to. And, and, and that, those are the ones who experience that second death. And we may continue to sin in our lives. I don't think any of us would, would claim to be without sin. First John 1 says that if we claim to be without sin, we make God out to be a liar because God calls us sinners because he knows that's what we are. But First John chapter two, first John chapter John 2 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous one he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours But also for the sins of the whole world Jesus is our defense attorney when the devil comes and he accuses you of the sins that you've committed and he does because he Reminds you of them. Hey, you remember when you did that? You remember when you did this? Remember that sin you committed man, that was really terrible What are you going to do when he comes accusing you when he comes to? Uh, uh, come against you Jesus is your defense attorney he is your advocate. He is the one who stands up and says, I died for Sean. I died for him. I died for her. I washed their sins away. They are free and they are forgiven. And there's no better defense attorney than Jesus Christ. When he declares you righteous, when he declares you forgiven, you are forgiven. Your sins are washed away. And we may still continue to struggle with sin until the day we die. But we have forgiveness through jesus. He is our hope and heaven is our home sweet home The second blank on your outline is our new home You know it, when you think about Moving into a new house There are so many things that you're excited about You're saying oh, where are we going to put this? Where are we going to put that? Are we going to get new furniture? Are we going to oh it came with appliances? Yeah, we don't have to go out and buy appliances but you move into a new house and it's exciting, you know. We're gonna raise kids here, and we're gonna we're gonna have grandkids here, and we're gonna we're gonna do yard work, and we're gonna landscape this place. It's, it's very exciting when you move into a new house. It is nothing compared to the excitement of moving into your new home in heaven, because I tell you what, we're, we're gonna talk about this in just a second. That you can't even imagine how great it's gonna be. But I, I want to talk about. Look at verses nine through twenty-one, because John kind of tries to give us an idea of how awesome it's gonna be. Says one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall, with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. As long as it is wide, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length. And as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick or 144 cubits high by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were stone, were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. the fourth emerald, the fifth, thank you, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Say that five times fast. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each, made, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. This is a beautiful city. You want to know what this city is like? John shows, uh, John, the angel shows John what this city is going to be like. And the angel, and he tells us that this, uh, this home, this new home of ours is going to be absolutely amazing. Two words to describe it. It is going to be big and it is going to be beautiful. That's what this city is going to look like. Our new home will be big and it will be beautiful. You know, when the angel measures it, he it says it's 12,000 stadia. How many of you know what a stadia is? Yeah, I, yeah it, it's a big unit. Of, yeah, it's not where they play football. No, uh, 12,000 stadia is equal to about 1,500 miles, a little less than 1,500 miles. And when he says that this, the, the city is 1,500 miles long by 1,500 miles wide by 1,500 miles high, it's like a giant cube. It's like this huge cube that we get to live in forever and ever and ever. You want to know how big this cube is? You want to know? Let me tell you. Square mile-wise, it's 2,250,000 square miles. That is a big city. That's bigger than Chicago. In In fact, it is bigger than 15 United States. It is bigger than the 14 largest states in this country, plus South Carolina, which is further down the list. But if you were to take the square miles of Arizona and Alaska and Texas and California and Montana, plus 10 other states, that's how big this city is. Alaska is 500,000 square miles. This is four and a half times the size of Alaska. And of course, this is just kind of figurative language. What we need to know is this place is huge. And it is big enough to house every born again believer in the history of the world. That everyone who's come to Christ for salvation will be in this city. We'll all be there together. And here's the good news, okay? You may not like somebody. You may look around the room and go, I don't like them very much. It's a big enough city, you may never run into them for all eternity. For all eternity. Man, I haven't seen them around. I sure hope they made it, but if I don't run into them, that's okay. But remember, no more pain, no more crying, no more tears, no more jealousy, no more pride, no more sin. So you'll like each other there, I promise. This is a big city. It's huge. It has a wall that's 216 feet high, 144 cubits, 216 feet high. Well, why does this city need a wall, though? Why do we need protection? I mean, God is in the city, right? I mean, God is there. Verse 3 says that the dwelling place of man is now with God, that God is going to dwell in this city, just like in the Garden of Eden. Uh, In verse 25, we read that there's some gates around this city, but it says the gates will never shut. These gates will never shut. They'll always be open. In those days, when you built a city, you built a wall around it. So you always had to have a wall around the city to keep out the enemies. But here's the thing. When at this point in Revelation 23, uh, or I'm sorry, Revelation 20, chapter 20, we read about the doom of Satan. The enemy of God is doomed. He's done away with. He's thrown into the lake of fire. So there is no more enemies. That's why the gates are always open. In those days, when you had a city, you would you would open the gates during the day for people to come in and do commerce, and then you would close the gates at night to keep the enemies out. These gates never shut. They're open all the time. There's no reason to shut the gates because there's no more enemy. The enemy has done away with, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Look forward to that day. There's no enemies to keep out because God has already defeated them. So we have this big city, we have this big beautiful city adorned with precious jewels, and there is gold absolutely everywhere. We're going to walk on streets of gold. There's gold everywhere. The medal of kings. It is the medal of the king of kings. And when he decorates, let me tell you, he uses gold, pure gold, the best 24 karat stuff you ever saw. And it's going to be splendorous, and it's going to be majestic. It's going to be awesome. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, I, I, we can't even put it into words, because this is what 1 Corinthians 2.9 says. It says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. You can't even, um, with apologies to mercy me, you cannot imagine what heaven is going to be like. You know, we've seen the song, I can only imagine. No, you can't. You can't. No mind has even conceived of what this is going to be like. You can't even imagine how great heaven is going to be. You can't even imagine how beautiful this city is going to be. You can't even imagine how big this city is going to be. It goes beyond the scope of our imaginations. It is going to be awesome. And I want to go. Not right now. But if he calls me home, boom, I'm there. I'm ready to go. Let's go. Like I said, I'm tired of the old order of things. I'm ready for the new order of things. And those things happen when Jesus comes back. The final blank on your outline is the glorious city. The glorious city. Look at verses 22 through 27. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This glorious city reflects the glory of our God. In 1 Timothy 6.16, Paul writes that God lives in unapproachable light. That God is light. He is glorious. And the city that he is building, the city he has built for those who love him, is glorious as well. Why? Because he dwells there. This is where God is going to live. He's going to live among us. Just like it was in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve walked with God and talked with God. We are going to walk with God, talk with God, he's going to be with us all the time. We will live. He will live among his people. He will live among us, and his glory will fill the, the city. We sang the song earlier about how uh, the whole earth is full of his glory. When we walk around, especially this time of year, you walk around and you see the beautiful trees and the and the colors uh, of the leaves, and it's just beautiful. And we're about to uh, to experience that season that comes after fall, and and God is going to cover the the death of of, of winter with beautiful stuff and uh can't bring myself to say it even though it's going to happen like wednesday i hate to be tom skilling for you but man oh it's coming early this year but the earth is full of god's glory and that glory pales in comparison Because it is the old order of things. When Christ returns and the new era is uh, is ushered in and the new order of things comes, the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God will be beyond our imaginations. Nothing on earth can compare to the glory of this beautiful city where God will dwell with his people. In Ezekiel chapter 48, the the prophet Ezekiel wrote what uh, the name of the temple of God is. And the name of the temple is the Lord is there. The Lord is there. He will be the light of this glorious city. There will be no more night. I tell you what, I don't like the nighttime very much. I don't like the nighttime. I don't like to party. Well, that's not true. I do like to party. But I don't like the nightlife. Um, Because I don't like going out after dark. I don't like driving after dark. It's scary. The boogeyman lives in the dark, and I don't like it very much. In heaven, no more night. Nothing but light everywhere all the time. The gates never need to be closed because there's no more night. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into the city. In other words, the treasures of this world will be brought into the city by kings as an offering to God. And it cannot, these offerings of the kings cannot even compare with the glory of God. This glorious city will be filled with God's glory and his splendor and his majesty. And the entire city will be a temple to worship God. We will dwell with God and we will be his people. We will behold the glory of God and we will be filled with his light and he will be our light and we will dwell forever in his glory. How awesome is that? What an amazing thought to dwell forever with God, our Heavenly Father, to see Him in His glorious splendor, to see Him in His majesty, to gaze upon His beauty, to be in this place and never having to leave. Never. My challenge for you this morning is to live in anticipation. Live with the anticipation of hope. The biblical concept of hope is one of a confident expectation. It is a confident expectation that something is going to happen. And my confident expectation, it's not a wish upon a star. It's not rubbing a genie out of a lamp. My confident expectation is that Jesus Christ is coming back and that he is going to take us home to this glorious city where he is making everything new. And we will live there forever and ever and ever. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to live like it. We need to live with anticipation of hope. Because this is our home sweet home. And we are going to be there someday. And we need to live like it. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We need to keep our eyes on Christ, to keep our eyes on Jesus, to, as the song says, look full in His wonderful face, for the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. We need to do away with the sin in our lives and we need to start living for Jesus every day to resist temptation, to live lives of faithfulness and righteousness and holiness, to stop doing the things that are found in Revelation 21 21 verse 8, to stop doing those things and start learning to love God with everything that we've got and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves and to spread the gospel to people who need to hear it so we can help people follow Jesus. And then when Christ returns, when Christ returns, not if, but when Christ returns, he will find us faithful on the earth. He will find us faithful to him and he will take us to our home. Sweet.